0: It's like, just imagine somewhere that a bomb has dropped and there's no buildings left, no nothing left, just a, a big hole in the ground and rubble. And God says, I'll make it like the Garden of Eden. When I'm done, people will walk by and say, I can't believe that used to be destroyed. It used to be uh, lifeless. But now, look at it. It's inhabited. It's growing. It's like perfection. It's just like it was in the garden wonderful scriptures to remind ourselves i want you to know that god's watching listening pays good attention to his people we're the sheep of his pasture and he is the greatest shepherd ever and he will not just allow us to be devoured by the enemy so you just trust in him tonight god's going to take care of us amen give him a hand clap of praise tonight he's a great god Never give up hope. Praise God. Great to see you in the house of the Lord. Because of the way our Sunday services have failed and different things, we, uh, we're going to be a service behind on getting finished with this lesson. And I just did not want to leave one lesson undone. And so since most of the people in here on Wednesday nights are here on Sunday, uh, I felt it would be just benefit us to go ahead and finish up this series tonight on who's to blame. This what we've been teaching on uh on Sunday mornings at 11. And uh, tonight if you have your bibles and you want to turn we'll finish up tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to read verses 11 through 14. Remind you while you're finding this that this upcoming Sunday we will not be here for service. Please listen and remind people we will not be here. Sunday morning, if you show up Sunday morning, you'll just do a U-turn out of the parking lot and head straight back home, I guess, or to McDonald's or whatever you might do, but um, our service will be at 6 o'clock at Brother and Sister Harold's house, and we'll have a, a, a service there and then enjoy some fellowship, cooking out, and just having a good time as a church family, and then as it gets darker, there will be some fireworks going off, so Looking forward to that. And so it's going to be a good time. Hope that you'll be able to come to that and be a part of that. And if you need uh, directions uh, or an address, please see Brother or Sister Harold. I know how to get there, but I don't know their address. So, um, But if we need to uh, get you there, we will. We'll make sure you know how to get there. So Put it on our social media pages. It'll be on our social media pages as well, so if you follow us on that. All right. First oh, 1 Samuel 13... And And Samuel, the prophet, speaking to Saul, he said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. That's a strange statement. I forced myself to disobey God. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Oh, I tell you, I could preach a lot of messages tonight. Look how close Saul was. How close to his kingdom being established forever. He said, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So we'll finish up in our Who's to Blame series, and tonight we're going to talk about blaming the enemy. And because Jesus Christ took our blame, we must... Assume responsibility for our own choices and refuse to blame the enemy for our rebellion. Again, no blame game. Let's pray tonight for the lesson. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. Let our hearts be good ground to receive it tonight. Let us learn, Lord, from these scriptures. Lord, trust you in everything, give you the glory in everything to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Lord, we ask it tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Now give the Lord a hand clap of praise before you're seated. He's a great God, a wonderful Savior. I appreciate him so much tonight. You can be seated. Thank you again for being in the house of the Lord. So we started out our series just a refresher real quick with actually the fourth lesson of the series, which was better suited, I thought, to be the first lesson and we learned, reminded ourselves that Jesus took our blame. When we're talking about who's to blame, Jesus took our blame. He went to the cross for our sins. He was sinless, but he took on our sins and went to the cross. We talked about blaming family. And then we talked about blaming the church. And uh, our, the main idea from these things is that when we try to blame others for our situations then we lose power in those situations. If we decide we will no longer take any responsibility for what has happened, well, if we have no responsibility, if we have relinquished that, then we no longer have any power or say so in what happens from that point on. We render ourselves powerless and are no longer in charge of what is going on. We, cannot, uh, we must grow and mature in our walk with God. And we must remember that we are not ever forced into anything. There are situations that are hard and that do have, I've I've said this throughout this series, that every reaction or for every action there is a reaction. But sometimes the best reaction is no reaction. When we uh, will do as Jesus did and instead of retaliating or Coming back with our words, we'll just keep our mouth closed and speak not a word. Uh, sometimes the best action is just to take no action because where there is no wood, as the scripture says, the fire will go out. But some people love uh, to, they make a living in, in firewood and they, uh, they, they love uh, throwing another log. There's an old song that said, put another log on the fire. And boy, I tell you, some people, that's their theme song. They roll into situations with a truckload of wood and uh, need to get rid of that. We've got enough bonfires going on. We don't need that. It's, uh, it's, it's something that we can do. We can uh, learn to assume responsibility, see things as they are, take what's coming to us and still go on and grow with God. People did it over and over in the Scripture. David is one great example that he could have just, you know, when the prophet confronted him with his sin with Bathsheba, he could have, well, you know, she didn't have to be out there bathing where everybody could see her. He 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 just blamed it. You know, uh, her husband could have took better. He could have blamed on anybody, but instead, he just repented and said, "Lord, against thee only have I sinned." and Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, and and don't cast me away from your presence, and create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me, and 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 because he was like that, God didn't take the kingdom from him. God didn't, uh, you know, there was consequences to what happened. The child that was birthed did die, but uh, David did not stop serving God. He assumed the responsibility for what he had done, but he was uh, very penitent toward. Uh, this situation, and God had mercy on him, did not kill him, and David still uh, a man after God's own heart, and so we're never forced into these things that, you know, sometimes uh, we, that's what blame is, it's like I didn't have a choice, it was their fault, they made me do it, and and as far as blaming the enemy, the 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 devil made me do it, you know, that's not even close to being true, uh, it if you've got the Holy Ghost and ever utter that statement, you're saying that He's stronger than the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. So think about what you say before you say it. Uh Jesus already told us, I gave you power over all the power of the enemy. So we, we have no we're we're really playing a a bad hand if we try to use, well, the devil made me do it. Uh he he may tempt and offer as he did to the Lord in the wilderness, but we saw how Jesus handled that with every temptation. He just went, hey, it's written. And so when we stick with the Word of God, we're going to be all right. And we must remember that uh, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. The Bible says the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now, that means I've got freedom, liberty, so I do have liberty to choose. But Paul said in Galatians 5 and 13, he said, Now, we have been called unto liberty, but do not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Do not use that liberty that God has granted you and put inside of you to do what you want to do in the flesh. You can't say, well, God loved me so much he gave me a spirit. He don't care what I do. You can't use it for an occasion to the flesh. But Paul went on to write that if we would walk in the Spirit, that means that's living our life. We walk, our, we walk by faith. We live by faith. We walk in the Spirit. He said, when you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's truth. And the, the church and, and God's people as a whole, uh, walking in the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of God would lead us into all truth. And even in the days where Saul and David lived, they were led by the Spirit of God, and uh, because the Spirit would come upon them, and and uh, sometimes it was through the commandment, as Saul had been uh, had been given commandment, the word Jesus said, the words I speak are spirit and they are life. And so when we live by the word of God and stay faithful to the word of God, that's being led by the Spirit, because His words are spirit. You believe that? So I do know that I can walk in his word, and his word will never cause me to walk in the flesh. The word of God will never license you to sin. Hello? It will never license us to, it will never say, hey, that's okay. Uh, The word of God will never go against itself, not for any situation. Uh, Just as Saul said here, I forced myself. To do this thing, well, you may have forced yourself, and that may be what you're standing on, but if you did, you forced yourself right by God's spirit you you quenched the spirit, you went past his word, and did what you wanted to do. but we need to learn that in every bad situation that if we will trust God and hang on that, the good things will come. There's an old saying that says, you know, and it's very simple, but it says when when life gives you lemons. So he was like, "I don't like lemonade." <laughs> somebody said, "Life gives me lemons; I'm throwing them away." But um, you know, but but that's the 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 saying is for this: is that when you get something that because lemons are sour and it's you know if you you get something that's going not quite the way you want it to, if it hands you that, you're like, you know, you can wallow in that. And just say, Well, this is all I'm gonna have There's nothing but a bunch of sour lemons or you know, lemonade's got sugar in it. Southern lemonade has a lot of sugar in it. Just like southern sweet tea, you know, two cups of sugar. Yes. So you can yeah, so so you now you have something that's Good and sweet to drink, and it's refreshing and cool. And you sit out in your rocking chair on your big old front porch, and you say, "Wow, look what came from these sour lemons." And and sometimes, if we would, and I know that's a very simplistic uh, statement, and it's often a lot harder to do than than that. But uh, there are things that we encounter that's out of our control. But if we will just trust God, we will see the scripture come to pass that he will turn our mourning into dancing. That he will give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That you know he God God is good at turning our situations around. That 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 weeping does endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning and and that if we can just trust him that he will revive in the midst of my trouble, he will revive me is what the scripture says and, and so I, I'll see life coming out of death. I'll see, you know, things coming out of wasted places. I see great things happening and, and and it's never over for God's people until God says it's over. Because God said, I know the plans that I have for you and I know the thoughts that I think toward you and, and I've got an expected end. Uh, To to give to you, I know what I want to see happen. I'm going to uh, perform this. I I have, you know, one writer said that we have this confidence that He, which begins that good work in us, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, we've got to stop assuming that it will just be the end of us. Whatever this terrible thing we're going through is, It, it it can be terrible. And it's all right if it's terrible. You'll get through the terrible. God brings people out of terrible situations. And so uh, we can either you know, decide that we're going to blame the enemy for causing trouble. We can wallow in our misery. Or we can turn our trouble into a blessing. That's right. That's right. We can uh, turn it around through the Lord, through our sticking with God and trusting in his word. God will come through. We don't have to fall back on. It's easy to blame the enemy. Now, I'm not just talking about the devil, but whatever. If it's your flesh or whatever, you, you just, it's easy to just blame anything else but because, you know, well, if it's we can blame it on the enemy. Everybody hates the enemy anyway. And what's blame do? It takes the eye off of us, off of our shortcomings, off of our slip-ups and failures. We don't want anybody, you know, looking at us when we make the mistake. We want somebody else to, you know, let's, let's get another headline going. So that's the way they try to do it in the world when when it's one thing when there's a headline and this is going this is going on, they, they they say we need another tragedy. We need something else to happen so they can take the eye off of this celebrity or off this person. We need something else to and that's the way the blame game works, is we want to just let's blame somebody else so people will stop looking at me. And what we have in Saul is an example of someone who would blame the enemy. He was anointed to be God's king in the, over God's people. That's no doubt. It wasn't a, f- a fluke. God chose him out. He said, I'm going to choose this man. He sent Samuel. Samuel, the same prophet that anointed David, anointed Saul. Saul was anointed and was very close, very close. Just oh so close. How long was it between the time that he offered burnt offering and Samuel showed up? I don't know. But... If he had waited just a little longer. Just waited just a little longer. But because he did that. God removed that kingdom from him. But uh, Saul's anointing. Came with an assignment. This is what the Lord said. In 1 Samuel fifteen two and 3. He said I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way. When he came up from Egypt. Now go, this is what he told Saul to do. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. The will of God is the word of God. Saul was anointed, but he had an assignment. The will of God for Saul was to obey God's word. To go and utterly destroy all. God didn't say destroy the worst, destroy all the lame, destroy all the bad. He said destroy all of it. Young, old, good, bad, leave nothing breathing of the Amalek's. Don't spare them at all. And if we will remember that the will of God is the word of God. And then if we'll keep his will, if we'll get in his will, being in his will keeps me from ever having to blame anybody. When I'm in the will of God, I don't have to blame anybody for anything because I'm doing what God wants me to do. It's when we get out of the will of God that we get in a mess. And we want somebody else to be the reason for that mess, not us. Surely not me, I'm the king, I'm Saul, I don't want to be the... Uh, everybody's staring at me because I'm I'm supposed to be revered. I'm supposed to be reverenced and, and people, you know, uh, not worship him but uh, lift him up and follow him and listen to him and obey him. And I don't want them seeing Samuel tear me down and tear me up and tell me how, how bad I did. So he was supposed to destroy everything, but that's not what he did. When you read on through the scriptures, it'll, it'll tell you that Saul and the people spared Agag which was the king of Amalek and the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen and the best of the fatlings and the lambs all that was good and it says the word says this and they would not utterly destroy them now God said utterly destroy but the scripture says they would not utterly destroy them would not is not could not there's a difference. If something had happened and a giant storm of tornadoes came through and blocked them and they couldn't get over there to fight with them, well, we couldn't get over there. But that didn't happen. There was no great hole open up in the earth that stopped them from reaching Amalek uh, so that they could not fight or destroy the enemy. They, to uh, would not is a choice. They would not do it even though God said to. It wasn't they could not. It wasn't all of a sudden we don't have our weapons. All of a sudden we don't have a way to fight. All of a sudden we don't have a way to get there. So we could not. They would not do what God wanted them to do. And so instead of doing what they were instructed to do, they just did their own thing. And if you do your own thing, then you have to take responsibility for doing your own thing. It's not family's fault. It's not the church's fault, and it's not the enemy's fault. Saul's response to the prophet Samuel was very interesting because Samuel had already been warned or told about what Saul had done. So Samuel goes up to confront Saul, the man he had anointed to be king, and when he confronts uh, Saul, Saul sees him coming. Saul speaks first. That, That tells you right there Saul's nervous he's already talking already got he's got it laid out what he's going to say i've carried out the lord's instructions i've i've followed the lord you know and samuel goes well then why do i hear the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of cattle what how come i hear animals if you have utterly destroyed everything if you've done what god said to do i was there i gave you that word uh, so uh if you've done what god said why do i hear these animals from the camp of Amalek. Well, now Saul, scratching his head, realizing uh, this is going sideways quick, he changes his tune. Uh, First he said, well, I carried out the Lord's instructions, but after being confronted, and the evidence is there testifying against him, Saul says, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, this is 1 Samuel 15 and 15, I may have given you that, Uh, Sis, you can read along with me. But he said, they did it. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest, we have, uh, the rest of it, the bad stuff, the things we judged were not good, we have destroyed all that stuff. But the rest of it, this good stuff, we kept that. Listen, partial obedience is not obedience, that's still disobedience. So he, he said, uh, you know, the rest we have utterly destroyed. We we did what God wants to do up to a point. People like that. I'll do what God wants me to do up to a point. But there's some things that I just want to keep. I'll move on. Notice what, how Saul does. First he says, I've done as God has instructed. Then he says, it was the people's fault. They were the ones who spared the sheep and the ox. And and then, he says, it was for supposedly divine purpose for them to worship God. Saul passed the blame to the people. I had nothing to do with it. I know I did not do what God said, but it was out of my hands anyway. You're the king, bro. It's never out of the king's hand. The king, is his word, it's his way. But Saul, if they didn't destroy everything, it's because Saul allowed it to be that way. Now, whether he told them first, hey, let's kill everything, and the people said, man, there's some really good-looking livestock here, Saul. And then Saul backs up and says, well, just keep the good stuff, and we'll, I don't know how it played out, but Saul was in charge there was nowhere to place the blame hey when you're the king it stops with you you're the king and so he says it was out of, out, out of my hands anyway the people they were the ones who were respons- that were responsible and then in saying the people had only spared the best all attempted to minimize what had been done it was disobedient to the word of the Lord but trying to make it not so bad you know oh, it's just a little lie It was just one drink. It was just one night. Trying to minimize what it was. So you see, Samuel, it really isn't that bad at all. We got rid of all the bad stuff. We only kept the best stuff. In other words, don't blame me. But if you're going to blame me, it's really not that big of a deal because we only kept the best stuff. Saul attempted to minimize what he had done, and then he attempted to spiritualize what he had done. Oftentimes people trying to avoid blame will try to spiritualize their rebellion. Mm. We kept the best to sacrifice unto the Lord, but did God say utterly destroy? Sure he did, but sometimes maybe God just don't get it right. You know, I got the Holy Ghost, so i I you know I know what God said. Well, listen, Samuel is not impressed with Saul's disobedience. Samuel saw it as it was. Saul had chosen to do his own thing rather than fulfill God's commands, and when somebody is just disobedient to what God's scripture says, it doesn't matter what. Excuse they have, or what they use, you see it. So, you know, there's never—I like said this while ago. There's never a right reason to disobey God's word. It, it, it might even sound noble what you're about to do. We're going, to, man. We're going to have such a sacrifice to God with these animals, but that's not what God wanted. We should never ever get into a place where we think God you just wait and see and you'll see how good this is and you'll realize you made a mistake because we should have kept this stuff. God said for a reason to destroy all of it and they didn't and there's nothing never, ever, ever a right reason to disobey God's word. I have seen people do things in their life and they they were doing it uh what they said was for a you know a, a worthy cause but it went directly against the word of god and i told them god's word says we don't do that but this is for a good cause god's word says we don't do that but it's for a good cause never will there ever be a good enough reason or a good enough cause that man has come up with that will validate Breaking God's word. Never. Never. It just, it won't be. And so, this is what Saul was trying to fly. That, hey, you know, a big sacrificial bonfire and all these animals to God. God's going to really love this. But but Samuel told him, said, does God have as much joy in, in you know, in these sacrifices and burnt offerings as he does his, as in you obeying his word, because what does it mean when we obey his word? That's how we show our love to him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not the, the sacrifice of goats and bulls and, and all these things. Oh, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken to the word of God than the fat of rams and goats. And, and so he said, you know, yes, yeah, all there, there is sacrifices to be made. And there's a time for that. But there's, there's never, ever a time to not obey the word of God. And you can't blame anybody else for this, Saul. Because the word was given to you. Utterly destroy all they have. But that's not what he did. He tried to do everything he could to deflect any responsibility. He played the blame game. I'm not responsible for somebody else's fault, somebody else's responsibility. But it's not the first time that he had done that. In 1 Samuel 13, the Philistines had assembled to fight with Israel. and They were uh, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen strong. And the scripture said that they were people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So Israel was very afraid, and they began to hide uh, in caves and thickets, rocks, high places, and in pits. That's what the scripture says. And, And Saul, to his credit, waits for Samuel to tell them what to do. But when Samuel takes longer than expected to arrive, then Saul moved forward without the prophet, and he offered up peace offerings unto the Lord. And this is where we came in with our scripture. And as soon as Saul had finished, as soon as Saul had finished offering up sacrifice unto the Lord, Samuel shows up and confronts Saul and says, "What have you done?" And we'll just read again. Uh, Saul said, "Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal." I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and I offered a burnt offering. Again, Samuel is not impressed with Saul's action nor his reasoning. Samuel told Saul, what you have done is foolish, and you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. Well, i tell you, them old prophets, didn't mixed words. If a pastor pulls you at his office and says, what you have done is foolish, that's the last time he sees you. <laughs> yeah, pastor would find out something was going on crazy in your life and tell you, "Hey, that's wrong. That's goodbye. That's just that's pastor language for see you later." Because people will just. But here, here's the problem: He's like, "Boy, that was foolish." <laughs> Woo. You know. Correction, you know, just because we're we're corrected doesn't mean that we're not loved and that there's no compassion involved. The Bible says who the Lord loves, he chastens or he corrects. And and any pastor or any minister that is worth the salt of the sacrifice that he is. If he will not correct someone for fear of them running off, well, he'll answer for that one day. But understand that a man who preaches and and prays for your soul, if he has to correct you, then he did it because he loves you and he wants to see you okay. So what these stories and these things show us about Saul is that he... He had a character flaw. He refused to take ownership of his mistakes. He was always seeking to pass it off, pass the buck, blame somebody else. It was people's fault. They were fearful. It's the enemy's fault. They were mighty in number. It was Samuel's fault because he didn't come at the time he said he would come. And everything was always somebody else's fault and always somebody else's responsibility. But again... Nobody else's actions should influence me to go against God's word. Because if I will trust his word, I'll find his will. And Saul, if he would have just stuck to God's word, he'd have found God's will. So a lot that we can pull from this story. But the main thing is this, is that, and and this is for all of us now, listen. The enemy is not the central issue. For Saul, the enemy, was not his biggest problem. His biggest problem was self. And our biggest problem in this race is self. I I know we've got an enemy that goeth about seeking whom he may devour. I I believe it. I know he's out there, and I hate him. I know he's out there. But I do know that the Scripture tells me this. For For me to lay aside... Every sin and every weight that does so easily beset me. If I've got laid aside, that means I picked it up somewhere. Can I tell you that the devil cannot sprinkle you with sin? He cannot, he cannot splash sin on you. He ain't got no sin water gun where he's running around shooting you with it. He ain't hit you with no sin water balloon. It ain't no sin paintball gun. He don't hide around the corner and go pop, pop. Got him. Sin. Uh, uh-uh. no. These are things that we pick up. These are things that we that we find ourselves. We and it, it may happen at a time when we're weak, a time when things are going crazy. So we, you know, we're a little weaker in our faith, and things happen. The Lord told Peter, He said, "You're going to be sifted." So I'm praying that your faith fails not. There's there's times where we we get weak, we make mistakes, and that happens. But when we make mistakes, when you if you make a mistake and you blame it on somebody else. You lose the power to change it. Own it, just own it. When you when you make a mistake and you blame it on somebody else, then you lose the power to change it and get better. Just own up to what you did. We try to teach our kids that when they're growing up. We we see them do things and and we know they did it. They're the only kid in the house. <laughs> Ain't nobody here but you and me, buddy. And who broke this? I don't know. You know, I know I didn't break it. You know, and we're trying to give them a chance to, to and teach them to to be honest and to own up and just realize, you know, that hey, um, you know, but if they don't, they can't get it at that age. But you're trying to teach them responsibility, be mature, uh, take take responsibility for your actions, and don't try to always pass it off. There used to be a a cartoon in the newspapers, a family circle. And I don't know if you ever saw that, but the little kids, and uh, uh, there was always, they'd have this little invisible guy drawn in there. Sometimes his, his name was Not Me. <laughs> and every time there'd be something, that the mom would be going, Who did this? And they'd be going, Not Me. And that little invisible guy's like laughing, you know. But that's the way it is sometimes. Oh, wasn't me. Wasn't me. It's was not me. Somebody else did this. Somebody else made this happen. It's, it's not me. But our 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 problem is often... Ourselves, because even Paul said, "Hey, you know, the bad things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. The good I want to do, I can't figure out how to do that. I see there's a war in my members. There's a war in my flesh, and and so I'm I'm battling against my flesh all the time. The flesh is enmity with God. It's a, an, it, the carnal mind is not subject to God, and it can't be. And when we get carnal minded," Carnal-minded people don't listen, to, they don't listen to preaching. They don't listen to instruction. And carnal-minded people, I can promise you, they ain't hearing from the Holy Ghost because they can't hear it. Hey, the Scripture says it. It says to be carnally minded is enmity with God. And they're not subject to God, Then neither indeed can be. They, they can't be as long as they're being carnal-minded. And so uh, that's why we want to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the flesh, so we don't get carnal. We want to make sure that we stay in the Spirit of God. That's where our liberty's at. Saul was the one that who disobeyed God. Saul was at fault. Saul was to be blamed, not the Philistines. It's easy to blame the enemy because everybody hates him. Oh, we boy, that devil been on my back. Have a car wreck, devil trying to kill me. Flat tire devil just trying to make my week bad. He did not come by and slash your tire. <laughs> car won't crank. Devil just trying to upset me this week. He don't care about your car. He didn't burn your house. He didn't shoot your dog. None of those things, man. He gets blamed for so much and 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 honestly, you know we don't You know, we don't need a lot of help in getting in trouble. Come on, I mean, the Bible's full of us in there. We don't need a whole lot of trouble getting in, uh, or a whole lot of help getting in trouble. We find it pretty easy ourselves. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, he's there. I hate him. He's real. And he's a tempter. He's an accuser. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but to say he made me do it, Again, is to say he's got more power than you got. When Jesus directly told us, "I have given you power over all the power of the enemy," so uh, those things, it, that that excuse won't work. Well, if we try to so, say, "Well, Lord, the, the devil made me do that," well, I gave you an example that when he tried to make me turn stones into bread, I used the word. When he tried to get me to jump off a temple, uh, that I, I I used the word. You know. And so, why don't you just use the word? Well, I guess I forgot. Well, what are we going to say? Anything we say is going to sound stupid. Because, you know, we're supposed to be listening to the spirit that leads us in all truth. So, we we do pretty good about messing things up on our own. But much of the problem is that people lack, under, they lack understanding of trouble. And when they get in trouble, they don't know what to do with it. But dealing with trouble is part of... Of our life, even born again, Holy Ghost filled, apostolic, holy, rolling tongue, talking, shouting, running, singing, preaching, people still have to learn how to deal with trouble because it's going to come. And so we've got to learn what to do about it. So we, we can look to some things, maybe that the Apostle Paul in his life, because he was good at dealing with it and giving advice about it. He wrote to Timothy, his son, in the gospel. He said, endure hard, hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. And uh, so for Paul to write that to Timothy, it was not out of place. He was, like I said, his son in the gospel. So Paul will tell him, toughen up. Stand strong. Well, when, man, but would you say that to somebody in church? Whew. I mean, sometime you've got to stand on, on faith. I mean, you're like, man, just toughen up. Where's your compassion at? Where's your love at, Pastor? I do love you. That's why I'm telling you, toughen up. I know what's living inside of you. I know the God that you serve. I'm trying to get you to be that good soldier of Jesus Christ and and stop acting like, you know, like you're just a scared little child. You're not. There's something inside of you that's powerful. But oh boy, you tell me, you're just saying, I ain't got nothing. I didn't say that either. That's not even close to what I said. Quit putting words in my mouth. I didn't say that. I'm just saying, be strong. Paul told Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it. One place he said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not insinuating that you're a weak, slack Christian. But when you're going through something, man, what? Oh, if you were coaching a ball team, your kid, they come back in the huddle and one of them's all snuffling and upset. You grab the front of the helmet and shake their head around. <laughs> Get back in there and you do <laughs> the. And that's appropriate. there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> you know, and that's uh and we're up in the stands, and we'd tell our kid after, after the game, well, that's a good coach. Well that's right, he told you the right thing. But boy, let your preacher. Well, mm, mm. praise the Lord. So Paul says this, 1 Timothy one eighteen. Paul tells Timothy, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou might war a good warfare, that by them that you might war a good warfare. So Paul understood that life is not always a bed of roses. There'll be battles. But the key to the battle was in Timothy holding on to the prophecies that had already been spoken. In other words, Timothy, hold on to your faith in God. And that's what any pastor knows about his people. I know what God's done in your life. And when I see things coming your way and I tell you, hey, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, uh, get back in there and fight, you know. I grab you by your helmet and yank your head around for a minute. You know, and don't get upset at me. I remember when you prayed through. I remember when God washed your sins away. Yeah, I I remember what God did in your life. and, And so how do you lay all that down? Forget all that. Get back in there and fight. You know. Paul said, I know what it's like to have trouble, buddy. I've been floating in the deep for a few nights, and I've been stoned and left for dead and beat by my own people. He said this about his trip in Asia. He said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. It was far beyond their ability to endure, yet they endured. Because greater is he that's in you. He he said, it got so bad that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He did it before, he'll do it again. So when Paul says, be strong, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he was speaking from personal experience. And he understood that things can get tough, but he also understood that God knows exactly where we are. He knows what we are going through. And when we get to the place where we have no alternative left but God, we are not in a bad place. We are in the best place we could ever be. When we, there's some in here to testify about that. When you get to a place where there ain't nothing left but God, that's the best place that you could ever be. Because now I'm out of the way. Everybody else is out of the way. I'm going to sit back and watch him work. So here's the point as we, we're not too far from being done. I'm trying not to run long. I already have. If we are always blaming the enemy, then we are never accepting personal responsibility. And when we do that, we render ourselves helpless. And then we miss out on a great blessing. How is that possible? Well, if we put the blame somewhere else, run from trouble, get out of the, you know, do st- stuff to get st- stuff off of us ourselves. We miss God turning our morning into dancing. We miss that you know weeping may endure for the night, but joy's coming in the morning but but if we go ahead and work things out for ourselves in the night, we never see that joy that would come in the morning we we if we you know we don't get that oil of joy for that. That, that that spirit of heaviness and, and that garment of praise and different things that God would give us and, and swap us out. Say, so, here give me that, I'll give you this. You know, we, we miss that when we try to fix it ourselves. In the book of James, verse one and and or chapter one, verse two, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. Well now, how is that possible? What James is referring to He is a blessing that comes through a test. The word temptation used in this text is not referring to temptations given by Satan to cause us to stumble. In this reference, it is referring to a test that is either sent by God or allowed by God. And the purpose of the trial is to help us learn how to be steadfast. So God won't do that. Hello, Job 23 and 10. Job said, well, but he knows the way that I take and when he has tried me, when God has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God tried me and something great came out of this. God tried me and I came forth as gold. Mm? Zechariah 13 and 9. And I will, this is the Lord talking, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them. As gold is tried, and when I do that, they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, "It is my people," and they shall say, "The Lord is my God." Oh, I'm telling you, yeah, I tell you, we and there's some great things coming. That's how we can count it all joy. Now, the word this is this is neat. Now, we, and I'm, I'm really getting close to the end. The word "divers" you know it means diverse, different, but the word "divers" actually means multicolored and multi-sized. The Greek word for divers is the word from where we get the word polka dot. I, I am not kidding. I'm not kidding. So you could read divers temptations. You could say life is filled with trials like polka dots spread out all over our lives. Our lives are dotted with trials. These trials or hardships come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. They may be in the form of affliction, sorrow, or sickness. They may be physical trials, financial trials, psychological trials, or spiritual trials. And so James gave some direction and instruction on how to deal with these trials. Problems that dot our lives like polka dots. James said, count it all joy. So how do I count trouble as joy? The word count it does not mean one polka dot, two polka dot, three. It's not counting. Count it is a phrase that means lead or look ahead. In other words, we are to look forward, and in our looking forward, we discover joy. James was saying, look ahead, see what's coming our way, Connect the dots. You remember when you were a kid and you used to do the connect dot to dots? And you'd get that picture, it's just a bunch of dots with little numbers. So you was like, hey, look at that. Look what just came from all these. You'll never know what God is doing in your life. Tribulation works experience, or patience. Patience works experience. Experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame. There's always something coming in everything that God does in our life. And so we can look ahead, see what's coming our way, and connect the dots. The Bible tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He endured hardness as a good soldier. He endured the cross. He despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But that joy was on the other side of that cross. So he knew, I'm going to have to endure the cross. Uh, That joy is still before me, but the cross is between there, here and there. And our cross is with us every day. And so we're going to realize that we're going to carry this cross, but we're going to look unto Jesus, looking forward to what's ahead, connect the dots and see what he's going to do. So what are we looking forward to? what's coming our way that will cause us joy in the midst of trouble, it's whatever good thing that God is going to bring forth out of that trouble. We cannot let our feelings have reign over our knowledge. Yeah, don't let your feelings have reign over your knowledge. I had a, in a very uh, not so flattering experience one time, uh, as I was being given a breathalyzer test. He said, here, son, blow in this. So I blew in it. He said, that's not going to cut it. He said, I'm going to have to take you. And I was like, "What? Well, I don't feel bad at all. You know? He said, what you feel and what is real are two different things. <laughs> he said, this is what's real. And so, yeah, I went to the, the to the pokey that night. Ain't that what it got? So, sorry, Mom. This, and I made them guys, that band I work with, they was like, what do you want us to do? I said, I want you to reach in that money bag and pay this guy and get me out of here. I said, I sure ain't sitting in this jail cell all night. I said, so go on and, and do what you do. And so, uh, anyway, but a great lesson was learned. That didn't happen again. <laughs> I, I promise you, one time only. That was a that never happened again. But um, but the lesson there. I, to myself, I didn't feel like I was in in terrible shape where I couldn't drive or I couldn't do. Or, but he said, son, what you feel and what is real, is two different things. And so don't ever let what you feel supersede what's real, what you know. And here's what we know. Romans 8 and 28 says this. And we know. Ah, in the middle of everything that we go through, we should never forget what we know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't matter what it is, how twisted or awful it is. How bad it hurts. It can be real. It can be going, it can, and it will cause you to feel all kinds of ways. But don't let what you feel supersede what is real and what you know. Listen, the challenge is not our enemy. Last scripture. James 4 and 7. You can stand with me on this. This is what James said. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I want you to listen to me now. The challenge is not our enemy. Our enemy is already defeated. We already have power over the enemy. Our challenge is is our submission to God. Yep, because you can't just block out that first sentence and say, well, resist the devil and he'll flee. No, he'll whoop you and send you out wounded and naked, just like he did those people in the book of Acts. Because they didn't even know who Jesus was. Oh, we just, we command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. See, so they knew Paul because Paul was under submission to God. But you guys are just trying to make a name for yourself. So we're about to give you some. And, yeah, they was hollering, y'all quit before that was over with. So our challenge is not the enemy. He's already defeated. I've got power against him. Our challenge, my challenge, is to stay submitted to God To his plan, to his will, and to his purpose. That's the key to living victoriously, to putting the devil in his place, is being submitted to God. We do well when we stop blaming the enemy and then start trusting a God who never fails. I've loved this series. I don't know about you guys, I've loved this series. Because I know as people, even, even myself, it's it's much easier to just blame than to take responsibility. I want to read something. I I wasn't going to read this last part, but I I think I will, because it just gives you a, a view of how things can change when it looks like you're in the middle of a time where everything's going bad. Life is not without challenges, but it does not mean we cannot be overcomers. In the beginning of the 20th century, at least in one way of looking at it, it was some of the worst time of humanity. If you were born in 1900, on your 14th birthday, World War I began. On your 18th birthday, it ended. 22 million people lost their lives. In the same year that the war ended, 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic hit. Within one year, 500 million people, about one-third of the world's population, were inflicted. An estimated 50 million people died from the virus. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression began. It started in the United States and spread around the world. The Great Depression had a devastating impact on both rich and poor nations. Unemployment skyrocketed, stock market fell, and many suffered for several years And then at the age of 39, World War II began. It lasted six years in one day. Between 70 and 85 million people lost their lives. But despite all the tragedies of war, famine, economic despair that occurred between 1900 and 1945, here's another perspective. In October of 1900, Charles Parham founded the Bethel Bible College. Located in Topeka, Kansas, and began teaching that the Holy Ghost would be received with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. On January 1st, 1901, a student by the name of Agnes Osmond, having asked that hands might be laid upon her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received it with the evidence of speaking in tongues. In 1905, Parham traveled to Orchard, Texas, located near Houston. To hold meetings, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred and the entire community was transformed. Leaving Orchard, Parham began ministering in Houston. Thousands attended meetings at Bryan Hall. Healings and miracles occurred and many received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In 1906, Parham sent Lucy Farrow, a student, to Los Angeles, California to start a work. A few months later, William Seymour, another student, joined her. And as they preached the Pentecostal message, thousands attended the services. Many miracles, signs, wonders occurred, and many received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in what would be known as the Azusa Street Revival. In a short period of time, the fires from Azusa Street Revival began to spread. Multiple organizations were formed, and then in 1945, the United Pentecostal Church International was formed. And Today, the Pentecostal message is being preached around the world and is the fastest growing movement within Christianity. So the point is this. What might have been one of the worst times for humanity, the beginning of the 20th century, was also a time of great revival. Thank you, Jesus. So despite what you might be going through, don't get caught up in blaming the enemy. Connect the dots. It could be one of the greatest moments of your life. Oh, come on now. Can't the Lord do it? Hallelujah. Can't the Lord do it? Hallelujah. Salarabosakata yorolabosakata. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While she's playing tonight, let's all find a place to pray. Come to the altar. Come stand, kneel in the altar. But let's come and make a declaration. I'm not blaming. I'm getting rid of the blame game. But, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow your word. And I'm just going to connect the dots. And Lord, I'm going to see the best days of my life.